For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Tomahawk Take Podcast. We hope you all are having a great day and are thankful that you've decided to give the podcast a listen. Uh, I am Jake Mastriani, and joining me, as always, is Alan Carpenter. Alan, how are things going this evening? Doing real well, thanks. And also joining us is Fred Owens. Fred, how's, how's life treating you? I can complain, but nobody cares. <laughs> well, you know, the good thing is we're, we're not very far away from from baseball taking place you know I said last week I was all pumped up because we're just a month away from spring training games and now I'm already just depressed because I want it to get here so badly and it feels like things are are dragging on so I'm already going through the ups and downs of the off season but you know we're almost out of January and once we get in February it seems like things kind of pick back up probably by the time this podcast is released we'll, we'll be in February before you know it we'll be complaining about how long spring training is and and wishing for opening day but good news is we're not too far away from from guys being on the field and hearing the sound of the the bat hitting the ball and ball popping in the glove and that's always exciting time of the year but it has been a a fairly slow week as far as news especially for the Braves Uh, we did have the last big free agent come off the board Nicholas Castellanos going to the Reds so that leaves Yasiel Puig and Brock Holt as the two best remaining free agents out there so with that, we've really seen the trade market pick up a little bit. Mookie Betts has been in the news a lot, and it's sounding like the Red Sox are seriously considering trading him before the season. I still think it's kind of a, a long shot. I know we were talking beforehand. I think that could be more of a midseason deal, but it sounds like the Padres and Dodgers could be involved in that. And the Dodgers have the prospects that they want. Mookie Betts, they can go get him anytime they want to, but they've kind of been stingy with their prospects. I know some people are wishing that the Braves may get involved, but with the $27 million that Mookie's owed this year, I, I really don't see that being a possibility. But somebody who could be a possibility still is Chris Bryan and finally got the verdict on his grievance. Uh, it seems like it's been going on for years now, but we finally got word, and I don't think any of us were surprised to hear that he did lose his grievance, and then he'll have two years remaining before he becomes a free agent. So now that we know how many years he has left, we could see his trade market heat up here over the next couple of weeks before spring training gets started. And like I said, many, many Braves fans still think he's a viable candidate to take over for third base this year. So, Alan, I'll start, I'll start with you. Uh, do you think the, uh, that Bryant gets moved before the season and could or should the Braves be in on him? I don't know that he gets moved, and I don't think the Braves should go after him, both. I'm doing a study right now to try and figure out if his offensive firepower is worth his defensive liabilities. So far, the numbers kind of look like that he may not be, at least certainly compared to other guys we've seen, like 
Arenado, Donaldson, uh, maybe even Johan Camargo to some extent. But then I'm doing a little bit of projection reaching there on on Camargo because we really don't know until he can do a full season and see if his bat comes back to 2018 level. If it doesn't, then, yeah, the Braves still have a hole there that they're going to have to fill somehow. But my suspicion is that at this part of the year, they're going to probably wait and see how it goes try Camargo, then maybe try Riley if that doesn't work. And if then Riley doesn't work, then we'll revisit this whole topic come July or so. Yeah, I'm kind of on the same page there. It sounded more and more like they're comfortable going into the season with Camargo and Riley kind of battling it out. And then if neither one of them seems to be working out, then you can kind of address this at the trade deadline. And I think Brian will still be available then. I, I think this grievance has gone on so long that Maybe too short of a window to try to get something done before the season. And obviously, they've probably been having conversations even before the grievance came down. Like I said, it was pretty much written on the wall that he was going to lose. Funny thing, I was looking at Chris Bryant's page here. I didn't realize we have the same birthday. So uh, hopefully, the Braves do trade for him because that'd be pretty cool. Uh, I like Bryant. I think, you know, I, I was kind of on him from the beginning. I, I think he'd be a huge boost to the lineup, obviously. And so if the Braves can work it out, then great. I think the Cubs have been asking too much, which is why I think he he goes into the season as a Cub and, and gets moved at the deadline. But Fred, what do you think? That's sort of what I've been thinking as well. The only thing that might be a caveat on that is, uh, as you said, the surely Theo Epstein hasn't been sitting on his thumbs not talking to anybody about, well, you know, if he was available, where would we be on this? What sort of thing are you thinking about? And then... I'm going to tell you, he has a feel for everybody who might trade for, for Bryant. He knows what he can get. And his question then is, okay, do I go get that now or do I wait till July and hope it goes up then? Because uh, I saw somebody say, well, on Twitter, of course, uh, all the experts said that, hey, in July, the price will be down. No, I'm sorry, it won't. It goes no. up in July because that's a must-buy situation. So you know, you're better off buying now if and then, then waiting then if you're going to buy if you think that you're going to have to buy. I'm ambivalent on Camargo and, and Riley. I want them both to succeed. I'm just thinking that a team that goes going for a championship doesn't leave that hole open, but I believe that they're, the, the Braves aren't going to do it uh, right now. I think if he, if he gets anybody, it'll be a pitcher, and I don't think he's going to make a big deal for uh, Bryant or anybody else. It's, there's really only two third basemen out there, Bryant and, and Arenado. The rest, everything else is is dust in the wind, more or less. So I don't think he's going to do anything right now. He's going to hold on, hope that the uh, in, in-house options work. And if they don't, at the deadline, he'll look and see what he can move. Yeah, and I've kind of been there as well. I think with Bryant and Betts both, I think you can get the same return at the deadline as you're going to get now. So unless those two teams really just want to save that much money and they, they have to move him, move either of them now, then, then I think they might as well just hold on to the deadline and see where things go during the season. I mean, if they're all of a sudden the top of their divisions, they'll have to figure something out in order to keep him and go for it. I don't think you would just trade somebody if you thought you could win a championship. And obviously those fan bases would be crushed if, if they traded either one of them uh, without even giving it a shot. Yeah, I think we go. I think both of them are deadline moves at this point. Our friends over at Cubby's Crib asked us, you know, what we would give for Bryant. The rumor going around that they wanted three of our top five prospects. I think it was like Austin Riley, Drew Waters, Ian Anderson, and Kyle Wright. I think mm-hmm. they wanted. I think they wanted three of those four. That's 
and that's just absurd. I I would give them, you know, maybe one of those and, and maybe two other uh, mid-level prospects. But if that's the asking price for the Cubs, then yeah, he's definitely going into the season with Chicago and, and we'll revisit again at the deadline. I wanted to shift gears here a little bit and talk about the Astros sign stealing scandal because it's not really something that we've talked about on here. And obviously that's been a big story this off season and really, you know, not just the Astros too, the Red Sox are, are under scrutiny and currently being investigated. I think a lot of people forget about that, but the Astros have already had the penalty handed down to them, but I don't think it was a, a huge punishment. And obviously we know they couldn't really do anything to the players without getting the union involved, but it's also kind of a joke that the, the players are getting off without any punishment in this. But we're starting to see a lot of players react to it and give their thoughts on it. We saw Freddie Freeman at uh, the Chop Fest get emotional talking about it. We've seen other players, you know, talk about how terrible it is. So I wanted to get both of your thoughts just on the record about it. And, and Fred, I'll start with you. What are your whole thoughts on the sign-stealing scandal? I understand where the players are at. They felt the vocal part of the player situation is they're saying the same things now they said about PED users. We hate it. We, they, they cheated us. They took money out of our pockets. They, they, they treated people that we like unfairly. They treated the other players unfairly, the teams unfairly, and we don't believe that's right. And it's exactly the same argument they made for punishment for, for PED users, and the union didn't come to heel on them until the Congress drug them in and said, okay, boys, fix this. So the idea that you could go out and start meeting out punishment and get this kicked around and get the union on board and decide who to punish and when and look at, look at that list of bangs that came out on Twitter this week from the guy who watched all the games and then decide what percentage of punishment to get each one of them. This the, would be finished in, in the year 2028 right. by the time that got litigated. So I think the commissioner did what was possible. What's possible is he fined the club the absolute maximum he could find them. He suspended the he suspended the GM and I'm and and Lunau's never going to work again because it come out afterwards that the other GMs don't like him too much. Everybody says Hinch is going to work again. Uh, okay, maybe they know better than I do, but I wouldn't hire him for a few years. Somebody said he'll be back next year. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe not. No. I just don't think he has a backbone. And from my position, my point of view with all this is that if you're the manager, you're in charge. Players don't run you, you run the players. And if they go out and they start doing things like that, you tell them to stop. And if they don't, you go to management. If management won't support you, you walk out. Because there's a point where, I remember there's old Wyatt Murray where, where Val Kilmer throws his bad, says, my hypocrisy goes only so far. And I'll watch the guy and I'll try to steal a sign from the dugout. But if you're going to cheat like that and cheat other people out of their money, then uh, it's time for you to stand up and be the man that you claim you're going to be. And, and I find it... Very hard to believe, sorry to interrupt, that, that if Hinch had said something that the players wouldn't have stopped. So, you know, this idea that he was upset about it and, you know, he, he broke a monitor and his frustration about Twice. it, I, I, don't, I don't buy that. Uh, you're the manager. If you want to put a stop to it, put a stop to it. That's so I've, exactly never, really, right. I've yes. never really bought into that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and that's the point. It, all this talk about, well, I was so mad, but they wouldn't do anything. Cora worked for you. Firing. Uh, the, the, the players work for you, sit them down, tell them that doesn't work. We're not going to do that. If that's what you want, you can go somewhere else and do something. We'll put you on the bench. I'll put people here who want to play because that's what you get paid for as a manager. 
what I'm telling you is that the people there agreed to it. Maybe not the rookies because the rookies just go along to go along, but the veteran leadership in that club, manager, coaches, veteran leaders, they let the rest of them down. I don't hold it personally against them. I wouldn't buy a used car from them now, but that doesn't mean that I think they're bad people. I just think they did something that I wouldn't have done. I think it's bad, and and I like you said, I know they, you know Manfred punished them as much as he could, but it just feels like it feels like there's been no remorse from the players so far. And you know, in the interviews that we've heard from Bregman and Altuve, which maybe you know they're they're being, they're saying what they've been told to say. I, I get that, but it just almost feels like the players are walking away from this and and that kind of rubs me the wrong way which again i know it to go down that road it'd be five years before anything ever happened but uh alan what are what are your thoughts on the whole astros sign stealing oh i got a lot of them first off these guys better figure out how to answer the question because those questions are not going away and they're going to be beat to death about it when they show up for spring training they're going to be beat to death about them every city they visit this year for the first time at least they're going to be booed like crazy on the road i think this is a, a serious problem much more than they even realize and it's still it's not going away second is i want to give credit on this this guy who uh, fred referred to who uh, looked at all the data looked at all the available video and cataloged everybody who seemed to be getting trash can banging signals uh, he's at adams underscore at guy by the name of tony adams at at sign adams underscore at on twitter he has got graphs he's got charts he's showed us who benefited the most or at le- least who got the signals the most I think I'm actually a little relieved that Jose Altuve got very few, relatively speaking. But there, there's other things that could be perhaps some fallout as we go along. George Springer's about to hit free agency soon. His instances while he was at the bat occurred more than any other player that was on the Astros, except for maybe Marwin Gonzalez. Beltran's up there. Alex Bregman is up there. Yuri Gurriel is way up there. Carlos Correa is above the average line. Happily, I guess, is Brian McCann was a little below the average line, but he still was there and he still took part, obviously. And I'm honestly thinking lesser of him for that, as I do the rest of these Astros. This was a bad situation, very bad look, and I do think that I would have liked to see the commissioner go a little bit further. I'm on record that I would have tried to take, and I don't know if this is possible, but try to take away their playoff shares. I would have tried to take away the World Series title, vacate it. That's all been ruled out, but by golly, I would have tried to do it because I don't think that the punishment went as far as it could have, and I don't think the punishment went where it should have, so... I'm not happy with all this. There's no such things as victimless crimes in this thing. And we can point to specific pitchers who've been sent down, who, whose careers got uh, derailed at the hands of the Astros. And just like PEDs, when you benefit, that means somebody else doesn't benefit. If you get brought up on to a 40-man roster, somebody else has to come off of it. If you get brought up to the active roster, somebody else has to come off of it. So when you benefit... There's a, a cost and a penalty down the line. And if you uh, use PEDs, if you cheat to get a higher batting average, if you do anything that's untoward or against the rules, somebody's a victim. And I think that's the, the cry and shame of all this is we're not going to see all the victims. But by golly, there were some. Yeah, and I've, I've listened to a lot of discussion on this and a lot of different other podcasts. And 
couple of things that I've heard said is that, you know, perhaps this is what baseball, the punishment they had to give out now because there's no precedent for it. But you, you let it know, be known that if this happens again, that we're talking about an even harsher punishment, which I think that's a little bit of a, a cop out. You know, I think you could punish them, punish them harshly now and you put an end to it altogether. And the Red Sox had already been warned. And that's why I think their investigations going on even longer. I, I think they could get punished even more because they were warned the year before and, and still yeah. got caught cheating. Yeah, and I, I admit I'm a little surprised and also sort of got my eyes wide open here that that investigation hasn't finished our, already. The fact that it's still going on is kind of telling. Well, the right. commissioner, the commissioner's letter after to the, to the teams in September of 2017 said that the punishment would fall on the general manager and the manager. That's what the letter said. The general manager and manager will be held accountable. Yep. And that's exactly what he did. So while I understand and I even agree that if we knew that Beltran was the guy who went out and set this up, let's, let's ban him. I agree with that. However, he did what he, he said in his memo he would do. He fined the team the maximum. He punished the people he said would get punished because, and he's correct, they're in charge. And they could have stopped it, and they didn't. So he did what he can do, and when he goes to the CBA next time, he's going to say, look, if we catch these guys cheating next time, there ain't no stopping me. I'm going to ban them, and you're going to let me. And so that's where the, that's where the point's going to be at this time. And there's going to be a question of how much proof and where the arbitration guys sit and, and all this other thing. If you look at the CBA and how, they, how the grievance procedure works, that's why it looks to be long and draw it out. You have to present this much evidence and this much evidence and then – you saw what happened with the Bryant thing. The, the, the actual uh, grievance was filed in 2015, and it's just now being settled. And it's set on the shelf without being pushed because the union and Bryant didn't push it, but they've got the CBA coming, and the CBA coming. They wanted this front and center. Bryant knew he was not going to win this. point was to get it out there. The grievances take a long time. They all have the right to the grievance unless it's negotiated into the CBA. Drug, drug stuff, There's a, the joint drug plan has specific things leg out that take them out of that. They get an appeal, but they don't get to grieve, file a grievance against it. So that's the kind of thing that's going to have to happen with this, to be collectively bargained and put into the agreement that bypasses the grievance because, you know, they, they stole my locker or something. Uh, it's got to be something specific for that, or it's going to be continue to be the same thing. Well, and no matter, and I, I agree, and I think it, something has to change and something will change. And, and it sounds like the players are even on board for making that change because a lot of them feel cheated as well because this goes back to the whole point that Alan's talking to. I mean, to me, this is just as bad as steroids because of what it does to the players um, who are who are on the, the line or, you know, trying to make it, trying to get their foot in the door. By doing this, they've they've held people back in their own organization possibly and they've they've hurt people's chances in other organizations from sticking in the major leagues you know it's the same thing that steroids did you know steroids keep you on the field and by somebody not getting injured takes away the chance of somebody stepping in their place and getting an opportunity uh, so in my opinion this is just as bad as steroids to me and you know no matter what if the players get punished i, I think we're all going to view these players differently going forward i think some of them will get viewed differently when they, their name comes up for the Hall of Fame ballot. 
So whether or not they get punished, fans aren't going to forget. And like Gallon said, this isn't going to go away. Uh, they're going to hear it throughout spring training, maybe even throughout the season. Uh, and they're going to hear it at away games. Uh, so it's not going away. Uh, but specifically for us as Braves fans, I, I wanted to talk about McCann a little bit. And I know Alan already kind of gave his thoughts on it. But, you know, this really is disheartening to me as a Braves fan, knowing that McCann's involved in it. You know, knowing how the, the type of guy that he was for, for the Braves in the clubhouse, he seemed like that guy that always, you know, stood up for what was right in the game. And, you know, this kind of flips the, flips that table completely and changes your whole view of him, which is which is sad, especially after the year we just had with McCann with his final year in Atlanta and the good vibes that, that he ended with. You know, I'd be lying if I said that my view of him isn't tainted a little bit at this point. I still want to hear his thoughts on it. I want to hear his opinions on it. I, I don't know. It's a little heartbreaking, in, in my opinion, to to know that he was involved in something like that. But Fred, what are your thoughts on McCann being involved and how this changes your, your view of him? As a person, I don't know Brian McCann. I don't, you know, have a personal love-hate relationship for him. What bothers me, what and I said this in some mile on the site, is that the guy who set himself up as an arbiter of what's good and fair and proper in the game, let this happen. Yeah. And to say that he couldn't have stopped it is not correct. Okay. What were they going to, he knew he had two years left. What are they going to do? Blackballing from baseball for pointing out that they did something wrong. This is the guy who stood up and wouldn't let a man cross home plate because he felt the bat flip was bad. Okay. He stopped him. He never still hasn't crossed home plate for that. <laughs> and when, and when Brian McCann, who set that, set that up as his, as his, this is who I am. And when he gets up in the morning and looks in the mirror, he knows that he let himself down. He knows that, that's why you haven't heard from Brian McCann. If he really believed he was that guy, then when he gets up in the morning and he looks in that mirror See, Brian McCann's being harder on Brian McCann than any of us can be because he looks at himself every day. And the, the, this whole thing about, well, McCann hasn't said anything when he's going to say anything, I don't think he knows what to say. And until he figures out what to say, he's not going to say anything. Now, he's going to have to say something at some point because they're going to have him at, the, at, the, at, at Truist Park, ooh, what a name, at some point this year. <laughs> And they're, well, they're, they're, they're his bobblehead like uh, April 6th. It's like the first home series they're having a bobblehead. Yeah, they, uh, they, had, they had ought to not do that because they'll find that bobblehead with his head pulled off somewhere. He's going to have to find an answer before that, and he's going to have to get out front of it, and he's going to have to say something like, I let everybody that believed in me down. And if he doesn't say that, then he's not the man he claimed to be. He's not the guy who wants the game fair because le- what is worse, what is less respectful in the game Flipping a bat and staring at a dugout or cheating another team out of games that they won. Even if it wasn't postseason games, because there's a good there's a good probability the postseason came out okay. But the games that got them to the postseason, they won games they should not have won because of that, and that's cheating the other team out of those games. So which is more disrespectful? Flipping a bat or cheating another team out of something they worked hard and earned? And if McCann doesn't stand up and say, I let everybody that believed in me down, then he's not the man he said he was. I don't love him. I don't hate him. I don't feel one way or the other about him. That, you know, when you set yourself up as the guy 
And when you take the responsibility as the veteran, as the leader, we brought this guy in to be the leader. We brought this guy in to lead, manage, and give us a veteran presence. And you find out he's cheap, then somebody's been let down. And the person who gets let down the most, the other teams were cheated, fine, but Brian McCann let himself down. Yeah, I think that's a, a good way of putting it, Fred. I, you know, I'm sure he's he's beating himself up, but like you said, I, I wish he'd get out in front of this. I wish he would get in front of a microphone. I know he's retired. He's not obligated to face reporters anymore, but I'd like to see him get out in front of it and state his apology. Let him let us know his involvement. Let him let us know how you know remorseful he is about it. You know, still, it would not completely change my opinion of him, but, you know, it would at least, you know, allow us to move on and kind of forgive and, and forget, or maybe not forget, but at least forgive and kind of move on with it. But, Alan, any other thoughts on McCann? Not too much, because I like what Fred said, but I, I do want to mention a couple of things. Number one is I think he better uh, figure this out before the Braves start thinking about whether to put him in the Braves Hall of Fame. I... Well, at this point, it may not, and this would be why. Certainly, we were we've been talking the last couple of years about whether he'd have the stats for the real Hall of Fame, but he it, it's it's a little low, low on the borderline. Granted, but at this point, it was point, borderline to begin with. But like, yeah, yeah like, what and you're I don't, at this point, there's no chance. I don't think he's going to make the five percent at this point. Yeah. Because this is going to linger. This is going to have to be addressed. And if he wants any shot, at least at the Braves' retirement uh, ceremony, then, uh, yeah, that's that's going to have to be done. Second thing is, one thing I forgot to mention uh, is, honestly, I think the hero of all this is Mike, Michael Fires. He put his name out there, and he's going to take some flack. He's going to take some flack from other players because there's some that uh, don't agree that uh, he did the right thing, that think he broke the code. He's also going to have some of the think he's a hero. Uh, but either way, um, he had the guts to say, you know, we've gone to the league. We've gone through the right channels. We're getting nothing out of this. I'm going to do something. I'm going to put my name on it, and I'm going to go to the reporters and have this thing blow open. He did that, and it has happened that way. Good on you for doing so, Mike. I don't know that you get enough credit for doing this, and I'm going to at least give you my uh, thumbs up for that. Yeah, and, and- – you know, um, shout out to Dallas Keuchel as well, you know, former Brave. He's one of the first ones I've seen from that team actually apologize for the sign stealing and kind of call out his teammates to say that they should as well. So good for good for okay. him. But, yeah, this is going to drag on for a while. We're going to hear about it all through spring training and until probably we get into the regular season and then, you know, if the Astros make the postseason again this year, which is likely this, it'll be a big story come the postseason time again. So uh, the story is not going anywhere. And like I said, the Red Sox story is just beginning. So uh, there'll be more to this. But uh, boy, West Palm Beach is going to be a fun place to have spring training. They've <laughs> got the Nationals on one side of the house and the Astros on the other side. What a contrast. That'll be fun. Uh, mm-hmm. Either of you going to make plans to go check out the new spring training spot oh i wish i could i did that's a big bit of a trek for me and i don't have a lot of vacation left right now (laughs) yeah i've Uh, contemplated one of their one of their packages i did one three years ago i guess now and and those are fun but they're exhausting and expensive (laughs) 
So, uh, and yeah, I've already sold my like my firstborn child, and 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 he's forty years old. So I, <laughs> yeah, we're we're old guys now. You you young whippersnappers do all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I did the uh, spring training a couple of years ago in Orlando, and it was fun. But where they were there, I mean, you had to drive an hour to get to the next stadium. So, down where they are now, it's easier to get to some of the other stadiums. Yeah, it should be. Uh, it's all everything's supposed to be closer by there. And uh, it's supposed to be a very nice complex, and I think it's going to be better when they get the teams clustered because Florida was was going to lose teams if they didn't do something. So I'm I'm glad, to, and I might do it. I know I'll go out and sell a wife's car or something, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely have to check it out at some point. I kind of want to move into another topic real quick, and then we're going to get into some questions from Twitter. But something else that came up this week uh, was the rumor or report uh, from Jim Bowden about, and others about the DH possibly going into effect for the National League in 2021 after the collective bargaining agreement. Uh, Ken Rosenthal kind of shot that down pretty quickly and, and said that it would have to be 2022 at the earliest. But right. you know, the fact the fact remains it's it's becoming more and more likely that the DH is coming to the NL at some point. You know, our own Seth Carter wrote an article earlier this week stating why he thinks it's a good idea. Uh, and that led to some good conversation in, in the comments. Obviously, it's a, a heated topic, a, a debated topic. Um, but just kind of want to get your thoughts on it. And Fred, I'll go to your go to you first. What are your thoughts on the DH coming to the National League? Well, I'm a pragmatist. I mean, I hate the DH. I think it's a disgusting thing to do to a baseball team. I think American League Baseball is as boring as it gets. I had to watch Texas for years here, and they had all these thumpers in the lineup, but it was just sit there and get bored. So I find the American League game just boring as the Dickens. I read these comments about, well, it's going to increase action. Well, I'm not sure it's going to do that, and I can show you statistically that that's not true. Last year, runs per game, uh, the American League at 4.8, eight and the national league 4.87 there's other numbers that run like that uh, the whole thing about more action extra base hit percentages are, are almost the same the only thing that really makes is is really different in it at, are the top five teams in the american league who made the postseason their production was significantly higher than everybody else's in the league and four of those teams are really rich <laughs> and that and that's why the production was higher because the Yankees had all those big big boppers in the lineup and the Red Sox had all those big boppers in the lineup uh the ninth place hitter in the American League last year overall hit 224 and had a 652 OPS you take the first five teams the postseason teams out and everybody else had a 212 average and a 598 OPS so the number nine hitter is not putting light on the table. Okay, he's an everyday player. I get that. But teams are more and more using that spot to rest a player. And the idea that you're going to get a lot more offense from it is just not happening. In the years since the DH has been in place, the run differential between the leagues, runs per game differential between the leagues, has never been more than a third of a run a game. Usually it's closer to a quarter or less than a quarter of a run a game difference between the leagues. That's not a whole lot of extra action, and it's not a whole lot of extra balls in play. And the uh, the 
American League struck out a whole lot more than the Hessian League, and that's a lot of lot of balls not in play there too. So I understand why it's happening. It's happening because teams stopped caring where their pitchers could hit, and even though the pitchers were hitters in school and they were one of the best players on the team, they got it and said, look, we don't care whether you hit, just learn to bunt. Then they said, yeah, don't worry about that either. So when you get out there and you're not doing something and you bat two times every five days, if you took an everyday player and bat, let him bat two times every five days and told him not to take batting practice in between, he wouldn't hit much better. I mean, he, he would hit better, but he wouldn't hit much better than those guys. So all this action and better statistics and more runs and stuff, it's not going to materialize like they believe. And it's going to make the game more boring, in my opinion. Now, if I could do it, I would. I like Jason Stark's idea. Jason Stark said, hey, put the DH in the game. But when the starting pitcher goes, the DH goes. I like that. Because then you have to pinch it for your relief pitchers. Baseball Prospectus wrote a piece, and they said, look, give the team 120 DH vouchers a year. They can use hmm. 120 DH vouchers any way they want. They can put two in one game. They can put one in a game. They can put four in a game. But at the end of the year, 120 games out, 120 times they can use a DH in the year, and let the manager figure that out. And then, three years, four years, five years ago, I guess. Boy, I've been here a long time. Four or five years ago, I wrote a post <laughs> on the DH that said, "Look, I would like the DH. Let's just make give every team four of them, and let the manager put them in rotation. One, two, three, four. The first DH bats in the first inning, first time he comes up. The next time it comes around, the second DH comes up, the third and the fourth. The first guy doesn't get to bat again unless it comes up fifth time. So make him pick it, pick it which ones are going to bat when, and they get a bat, and then it's the other three guys turn before they get up again. There's strategy in that, who you put where and when. But MLB is too myopic. They think in the box, well, you just give it to them, and you don't get anything like that. So I think it's going to be boring, and I, I think that's we're stuck with it. Yeah, and I've always considered myself kind of a old-school baseball fan as well, and I've always hated the idea of the DH coming to the NL, but I've kind of just prepared myself for it. Like I said, it seems inevitable, and after watching Mike Poltonavich bat for a couple of years now, uh, it's it's getting harder and harder to watch. But, uh, Alan, what are your, your thoughts on it? Well, it's exactly the the faulty kind of problem that uh, has led me to the same kind of conclusion that it's not only inevitable, but I'm being dragged kicking and screaming into it. In the minor leagues and colleges, they use the DH essentially all the time. Pitchers don't hit unless they're not pitching sometimes because, like Fred said, they're the best athletes for a while. But yeah, in the lower minor leagues, they don't hit. Uh, in AA and AAA, I think it is that uh, the National League teams will hit the pitcher if they're playing another National League team, which means that if you're, you've are got a mixed league like most of these do, then you're only going to bat maybe a fourth at a time anyway in, in your games. These pitchers don't know how to hit because they don't have the repetition, they don't have the training. Heck, you get to the majors, you may not have only hit but a a handful of times, maybe less than two dozen, and now you get a major league fastball, you can hardly defend yourself if something comes up in your direction. I think that for their own safety and and muscle repetition, muscle memory kinds of reasons, I think you're going to probably just have to get these guys out of there. It, it's it's a bad thing, but I guess, like say, a drag kicking, screaming into it. As far as the uh, the offenses go, I, I, I would like to 
to see, I need to do this research, I guess, see how many base runners per game we've been getting over the years. And we know strikeouts have been going up and homers have been going up. And I think there's a direct correlation there, but I want to see if the base runners are going down because everybody's swinging for the fences. Certainly that seems to be the case in the American league, but I, I want to see if that's part of this trend that would support really Fred's argument about the nature of how the DH is being used. So I'm not a bombs away kind of guy. I like to see strategy. I like to see players knocking it, each other around the diamond with uh, doubles, triples, and, and singles, and just moving guys over on even a ground out. So it's that kind of stuff that's the beauty of baseball, and I do think that we're going to lose it if we end up just getting these guys who swing for the fences all the time. You know, I never want to see the DH in the NL. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. I just I know that it's it's coming, and so I'm preparing myself. But uh, what I yeah. do hate, and, and what I was talking about with Seth when he was putting this article together, and I think both of you kind of touched on it as well, is the fact that hitters just don't seem to care anymore, and teams don't seem to care anymore. And, and so it is just a wasted at bat. I mean, they can't even bunt anymore. You know, that's what kills me is that they're not even they're not even really trying anymore. You know, at least back in, you know, the 90s, the 80s, you know, pitchers could could bunt. They could get a productive out. And I went back and looked at some of the numbers and, and they're not great back in the, the 80s and 90s. And even into the early 2000s, the pitcher spot averaged about 150 a year, 140, 150 average a year. And now it's down into like the 120s and one year recently, I think it was down into the, the one teen. So it's just got increasingly worse really in the past decade and it's really just sad i wish teams would go back to caring a little more about the pitcher spot and and letting them take a little batting practice and going back to the maddox glavin and smoltz days where chicks dig the long balls i i don't know it's really it's gonna happen um I'm preparing myself for it. I don't want it to happen, but at the same time, I kind of understand because teams are forcing the hand of Major League Baseball because they don't care about it either. And it, the nine spot is just a wasted at bat a lot of times in the National League. So, yeah, and if it, it happens because of the new CBA, that happens at the end of 2021. After that season, there's no way they would implement it at, for 2022 because that'd be too soon in the cycle. But maybe 2023 at the earliest. So. You got that much time to get yourself gathered. Yeah, yeah they're, going to have to, they're going to have to allow the, the people to, to rejig the rosters too. Um, they, uh, I, I look just quickly. Um, in 1990, 2.1% of plate appearances ended in a home run. In 2019, 3.5% of plate appearances. And since plate appearances are up because there's more teams, uh, that is more. That is actually more. The ground ball to fly ball rate. In 2019, it was 0.78. In 1990, the ground ball to uh, fly ball ratio was 0.79. The ground out to air out was 1.08 last year. And the ground out to air out was 1.02 in 1990. Strikeouts to walks in 1990, 1.79. Strikeout to walk in 2019, 2.68. Ooh. These are National League numbers. I'm not looking at all MLB right now. These are just National League numbers. Uh, extra base hit percentage last year, 38% in 1990, 29%. So you're getting more extra base hits, but when you're not extra getting extra base hits, you're striking out. Everything and, else is pretty well flat, but whatever, you're you're getting more extra base hits and you're getting more home runs, but you're getting less singles. And you're getting, uh, you know, you're getting less people on base for those home runs and those extra base hits. 
And there's fewer, bigger parks out there, too. They're bringing in the fences consistently. Yeah, and that's where you're getting a lot more home runs. I mean, that and the ball being uh, liquefied. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, let's uh, wrap things up here and take a uh, look at a couple of questions that we got. Some of our followers on Twitter and, and some of our own staff we reached out to to give us some topics for tonight. And one of them from our staff came from Stephen Teal, who wanted our thoughts on the rotation and whether or not it'll be good enough to get us uh, not only into the pl- the postseason, but through the postseason this year. So, uh, Alan, I'll start with you on this one. What are your thoughts on the current structure of the rotation? And is it good enough to get us through a postseason? This gets to one of my own personal questions, which has to do with comment Alex Anthopoulos made another week or so ago, and that uh, he's essentially been given the permission to go for it. I'm not sure what go for it looks like in this context, but I can tell you that if you've got a hole somewhere, if you've got a problem with third base, if you've got a problem with the back end of the rotation, then you're not quite there in terms of going for it. Because going for it means that you have a team that's complete, that can compete at all positions, and is ready for not just the regular season, but the postseason. Now, there's many ways to do that. You can solve some of these problems at the trade deadline, but I don't think that we're there in terms of rotation. I'll go ahead and circle back to the actual question here. I don't think that we're ready to go for it in terms of rotation. We've got four, three, I, how many do you want to count here? We've got probably three solid spots. We've got Hamels, Soroka, and Freed. Beyond that, we've we're kind of hoping that the second half Mike fulton will be there and, and be strong. After that, we don't know what the state of things is going to be with Sean Newcomb or Kyle Wright or Bryce Wilson or whoever, or King Felix or whoever ends up occupying that fifth spot. That seems to be the case with a lot of teams that you never know who's going to be uh, fifth in that, that order. But for teams that are going for it, you got to be more sure about it. There we go back to the surety or certainty and clarity kind of things, and it applies to rotation as well. So if I am Alex Anthopoulos, I am, and I think Fred uh, alluded to this earlier, I am looking not so much at third base right now because I think there's reason to believe that we can at least get close on the production and the defensive needs there that uh, that we have. But I want a fifth starter that, well, actually, I want a third starter if I'm going to make a trade for it. I want, I want somebody who's going to be at the front to the middle of the rotation to push those guys back down so that I don't have to worry about that fifth spot as much. And I am concerned about it because I don't think we've got quite enough depth there. Yes, we might have a bullpen that can rescue some of these guys. I don't want to have to do that habitually, though. And that's that's where I think we are. I would love to see a trade for, uh, I've been preaching Mike Clevenger for a while, but it doesn't really matter so much who, but uh, somebody who certainly uh, can at least be in the middle of that order of the rotation, if not towards the front end. Fred, is uh, Soroka, Freed, and Hamels, are they good enough in the postseason? I have more faith in, in Mike Fultnowitz than, than most, I think. Here's the thing about when you look at the rotations, and if you look around the league in rotations, if you're three deep in a rotation, you're really good. The Yankees aren't three deep in a rotation. I mean, maybe their kids can, maybe Severino comes back and does it. Maybe Herman Marquez goes back and does it. They're stuck with J.A. Happ, who they're paying a fortune for and is a sixth starter on any team. 
and you, you go, you know, Mets will go, oh, the Mets have got Stroman and DeGrom and Thor and, and who? And you go to Chicago and it's Darvish and an aging John Lester and Liam Hendricks. You, you go to the Dodgers, everybody says the Dodgers need a pitcher. And it's that way. If you've got three good pitchers, and I, I think we've got four. The fifth spot in the rotation, I'd like to have a guy there I could go run out every fifth day who's going to give me six innings and keep us in the ball game. But I look around and see who's available. And right now, the Indians are not going to trade Cleverger. They're not going to trade Bieber. No. They're just not because they don't have to. They don't make any money. They, they're going to see what's while well, the year starts out. So you look around and, you know, you've got like Chris Archer's out there, Joe Musgrove's out there. You could probably get them. You could get Archer out of Pittsburgh, I imagine, pretty quickly because they don't even want to look at him there. But when you look around the rest of the league, who are you going to trade for? And the, the answer is nobody because there's not really that guy out there. And if there's not really that guy out there, then let's go with four, well, what we've got piece together five between Wright and Newcomb and, and maybe Anderson's ready in the middle of the year. If somebody gets hurt, that's a different story. You're going to need seven starters anyway, maybe eight. Most teams used eight starters last year. You're going to need that many starters. So saying I need to plug in a guy who's not available and won't be available until the deadline. If he gets somebody now, it's going to be a guy like Musgrove or Archer and a guy who goes out there. Mus- Art, uh, Musgrove, by the way, his peripherals look a lot like Sorokas. So I just think that he would be the kind of guy with control and inexpensive that you would plug in there. But again, I don't think there's anybody out there to do it right now. So I'm not particularly worried about the rotation for the first half of the season. If it comes up towards June and two of the pitchers aren't really hitting it and getting it, then you can start looking for going to get that guy. Just like you would start looking going to get for a third baseman if, if Riley and Camargo don't, don't win, win the job. I'm more concerned about third base than I am about the pitching right now because I don't know that you're going in there with the left side that you hope does everything, and I just don't know that you're going to do that. I really want them to, but that spot bothers me more than the fifth fifth spot in the rotation. If Riley or Camargo or some combination come out there and they give me three three or four wins out of the third base hole, uh, we're gonna we're gonna go right into the postseason again. Soroka, Freed, Hamels, and Mike are going to be good in postseason. I, I don't know who you're going to trade for. If you do if you do trade for one of them, it depends on which one's not pitching well in the mid-year. But uh, on their game, yeah, they're as, good, they're as good as most people in the league. They're not DeGrom and Thor, uh, but DeGrom and Thor doesn't have our lineup behind them or our bullpen behind them. You know, the Dodger bullpen is not strong. So you start looking around and you go, yeah, I think I'll start the, start the year with this. And I think that's where Alex is at. I, I'm just nervous because <laughs> I, I, I know this is a team that should do well. I'm expecting that we're counting on a lot from these kids to grow up and, and perform. And that happens at third base as well as it does in, in the uh, rotation. That's that's exactly what we're doing, I think, is is waiting to see who's going to fail. And hopefully nobody does. But, I mean, that's just un, almost unrealistic. But at the same time, you don't necessarily want to go out at this time of year and, and fire all the bullets that you have in your trade gun to go get a guy if you, it turns out you probably didn't need him. You need to find out about who you need and then go get somebody and that's that's the rub is that you may end up being a little bit behind in july because you had to wait until you figure out who's going to be stepping up if if everybody steps up 
great. You don't need to do anything. But that's the subject of the speculation, the projection at this time of year, and I'm just nervous. <laughs> well, yeah. I, 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 on that, but the Nationals have the best, probably the best rotation because they're like 40, okay? Right. And, and so that's probably the best rotation, but their bullpen isn't nearly as good. And their lineup isn't nearly as good. And everybody's in this position now where you're three weeks before the four pitchers and catchers start, maybe a little less than that now. And Two. Mm-hmm. who are you going to go get is the question. I got, here's money and whatever prospects that are expendable. So who are you going to go get? You go to Cleveland, they say, I'm sorry, I'm not trading anybody. So then where do yeah. you go? You go buy a fifth starter or a fourth starter somewhere? Or do you say, I've got four starters and I've got four guys that could do that fifth job and maybe uh and i can probably get to july like that yeah and in all honesty cleveland's not going to do anything till they do lindor if they sell him off then the doors are open to the shop and you can probably pry clevenger and anybody else you'd want that would be the signal that they're not going to go for it this year. But in, at this point, uh, they don't want to do that to their fans. They don't want to take away any chance that they do have of trying to go after that weak AL Central. So I agree that my pipe dream is still going to be a dream until at least July. But as I say, I'm nervous. Yeah, I, I agree and disagree with both of you on some of your points. I'm not I'm not really that nervous about it going into the season. I, I feel pretty good about third base i think either riley or camargo one of them's going to to step up and play well i think the chances of that happening are pretty good i'm not really worried about the fifth starter spot what i am worried about is the top of the rotation and that's where i kind of agree with fred that i I think it's fine to wait and see until mid-season and see what options are available then because at least as far as the starting pitching you know i don't really see anybody out there now that's a big game changer that's you know truly available you know, the only reason we're talking about with third base is because Chris Bryant and Nolan Arenado are game changers and they seem to be available now. So I think we wait till the deadline on both of those positions and you hope that somebody steps up and you only have to fill one of those holes. Uh, I feel comfortable with Soroka and Hamels in the postseason. I feel comfortable with Fulte. I mean, a lot of people forget how great he was in game two of the NLDS and everybody focuses on game five, but uh, he was great in, in game two. And I want to see what Freed does. I think he could be really good. But again, with him and Fulte, they're both going into the season as question marks. But, you know, I feel pretty good about the top two. I'm not sure about the third one. Uh, if we get to the, the deadline and, and neither one of them stepped up, then I think Alex will definitely go out and get another veteran top of the rotation guy. Uh, but I want to move on to another question real quick because uh, it's kind of on the same topic. But uh, Dusty Lucas at NCBoy7 on Twitter uh, he asked us which young pitcher could be a surprise candidate to make the opening day roster. And I take that to mean either bullpen or starting pitcher. So, uh, Fred, I'll go to you first. Who is there a young pitcher that you see that could surprise us and make the opening day roster? I don't think that as much as Anderson is, is, is there, I don't think they want him up to opening day. I, I think they want him from the middle of the year on if he's going to be available I believe Kyle Wright is going to step forward. Kyle Wright has too much stuff to not be good. He said knocking wood, Harry Wood's best. I just think this is Kyle Wright's time to claim his spot, and I think he will. If it's somebody that's not Wright, Wilson, or or Newcomb, surprise guy might be Kyle Muller because he, he stepped up big last year. He came up bigger last year than I expected him to do, and 
he might be the guy. But if it has to be a minor league guy, it, it's Mueller. But I don't think that really, I don't really see that happening. It's, I think it's got to be Wright, Newcomb, mm -hmm. uh, Wright or Newcomb to do it. I, I still think Wilson ends up in the bullpen. But it's got to be Wright or Newcomb to do it. And, and if if you see a guy from the minor leagues, it will be Mueller. But if it's by mid-year, if it's a guy from the minor leagues, it'll be Anderson. Is that wishy-washy enough? <laughs> yeah, you covered all the everybody, so I think you got it right. Uh, but, uh, Alan, anybody in particular for you you think could surprise us in spring training and, and make the roster out of well, spring training? That'd be a surprise. Uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm thinking bullpen right now because I don't think any of the candidates for the starting rotation are going to be any surprises. They're being going. They're going to be names that uh, we know about, names that we've already seen in action one way or another. So that leaves the bullpen, and I'm thinking Patrick Weigel or Tucker Davidson uh, as that's the two options, and it's because they, they they strike out guys and they don't walk guys, and that's exactly the kind of thing we need for for the bullpen. Davidson uh, certainly could do a long relief kind of role. He's a starter in the minors. Uh, Weigel hasn't had his chance really yet, but. Uh, has pretty much earned it. I think he's uh, he, he's ready to step up and, and do that. Now, will he beat out A.J. Minter? Will he beat out anybody else that shows up there to, uh, of the myriad guys who, who are bullpen candidates? I don't know, but I, I'd say there are odds on the favorites to, to get a good shot at it. Yeah, Philip Pfeiffer is another name uh, who, who's had a good offseason. He's kind of built up his stock. He could be a surprise guy in the bullpen. Uh, Davidson was the guy that I was going to say, but I was going to say for the rotation. He came up to AAA last year and had a good showing there. Granted, it was just four starts. It would it would take a, a couple of injuries, I think, and, and obviously we don't want to see that happen for either him or Davidson to make the make the team out of spring training. But we saw that last year with Wright and, and Bryce Wilson being in the, the, the rotation to start the season. So it's not that far-fetched, but Davins is the guy. He just seems a little more mature, advanced than, than Anderson, and I don't think he's somebody they would hold back for service time like they would Anderson, as, as Fred mentioned. Uh, so he's a guy that I think if he had a good showing in spring training and you know a couple of the other candidates you know were, were injured or, or just didn't look as good, I think he's somebody that could surprise and, and possibly make that uh, jump. You know, he is 23, will be 24 in March. Uh, so I think he, he's a possibility to to maybe get that fifth spot if, if some other things happen. Uh, and obviously he's already on the 40-man roster too, so that makes it a little bit easier. I don't um, think they're holding Anderson for service time. I don't. I think that they want him to straight because he had he hit a little hiccup last year, and right, I think they want him. To, a, yeah. And I think they want him to get his groove back before they bring. I don't think I, right now. I don't think Anthopolis cares about service time at all. I think that if Anderson went out and just blew everybody away in spring training and said, hey, look, here I am blowing away major league batters, he'd probably get the job. But I think they want him to go back to AAA and get his groove back and be ready for the second half push when the pitchers are tired and liable to get injured and need days off and things like that. I don't think anybody's being held for service time right now. I agree. Our last question on here from Ryan Loninger, AA is the mystery team. Uh, he asked for 25 minutes on AJ Minter, so I thought we'd finish the show given a good 25 minutes on uh, Minter. But no, I'm just kidding. But I do appreciate 
uh, the comments and throwing that in there. I, I am curious to see what Mentor and Sabat could do in spring training. And I know, uh, Alan, you had mentioned Mentor a minute ago and some of those back of the bullpen guys that didn't pan out last year, if maybe they get it together and make a, a jump this year. But the bullpen is just so deep already. Um, you know, and those guys kind of get lost and forgotten. But um, I, I guess the question here uh, for you, Alan, is, you know, just kind of the depth of the bullpen. Uh, who do you think may fill out those final couple of spots? Well, first off, I need to correct myself slightly here. Patrick Weigel actually walks more guys than I had remembered. His uh, strikeout-to-walk ratio was not above two, and it's that kind of number that I want to see. I want to see at least three-to-one ratio for a guy that uh, comes out of the bullpen and, and throws hard. And Minter had a strikeout-to-walk ratio in AAA last year of 10. He struck out almost 12 per nine, walked only 1.2 for every nine in AAA. He got hit. He had a 3.57 ERA, but his stuff is there. And that's the kind of thing that he was doing early on in in the minor leagues and kind of got derailed a bit at the major league level last year when he got hurt. If he's healthy again, and indication so far is that, yeah, he probably is, heard an interview with him, I think about a week ago on, on a radio program. He seems to be healthy again. And if, if he's got that throwing back again, then I think he it should certainly uh, has benefit of a doubt for getting into that bullpen mix there. Yeah. I want to see him back. I want to see his confidence back and I want to see him healthy again. And if he's got all those things and, you know, he certainly came up through the minors blowing people away. And I think he can still do that at a major league level. Yeah, and I mean, Minter was the guy that was pegged to be the closer of the future for the Braves. So, uh, obviously, the like you said, the talent's there. That's never been a problem. It's uh, controlling, commanding his stuff. It's been an issue once he's got up to the big leagues. Fred, what are your, your thoughts on Minter getting back into the bullpen rotation this year? I want to know where you're going to squeeze him in. You're, you're, you're talking about you've got Melanson, who it's – uh, uh, you've got Melanson, <laughs> you've, you've got Shane Green, you've Two, got Chris Martin, three, you, you've got Will Smith, four. Uh, if that's not inning six, seven, eight, nine, what are we doing? You've got, and you got O'Darren O'Day out there, uh, who's going to be in the bullpen. Uh, Luke, we're, Luke Jackson, we're filling up six. pretty quickly here. You only <laughs> got eight. Yeah. Huh? You only got eight. And when you add Luke Jackson, that's six. I understand that, but you're going to have, a, have you're going to have a swing guy in the bullpen at some point. I think AJ Minter's a trade piece. If he comes up and pitches well, I think he's packaged and gone because you signed Smith for three years. I just don't think there's room for him, and it's the same with Sabatka. I'd like to have Sabatka come up and throw 98 bullets up there and and be in there, but at some point along the line, you've got Lanson that you can't move. And you've got O'Day that probably can't move. And you've got Green out there. And as much as everybody says, oh, let's just trade Green. I don't think you're trading a guy like that uh, unless he just, unless he just some kind of bad guy in the clubhouse. But I haven't seen that or heard that. Uh, you're when you start filling up the back of the back of the rotate, back of the bullpen, you've already got five or six guys that can pitch the back of the bullpen. And so then you're going to add another back of the bullpen piece and mentor. Now you've got seven guys to pitch the back of the bullpen and nobody to come in and give you three or four innings. And I, I just think that's a bad mix. And they, I, 
Yeah. yeah. I, not to, I not was the one who wrote that Mender was going to be a closer when he first came up. I really like his stuff. I really liked what he had. I watched him down here. I really like the guy. I just don't know where he fits unless somebody gets injured. Now, granted, you're going to have these guys not pitching the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth innings every single day. So you're going to have to rotate them in and out and maybe a, like group A and group B kind of thing on every other day or something. But you'll have ways to use them. But you're right, we're kind of running out of slots. And I'll see Lanson and Green and Lanson and Green and Smith and O'Day and Jackson, they don't have options. So that's five of your eight. And so I, I understand that you can, it's going to be it's going to be the trick. I just don't know whether you're going to pull the trick off or not because uh, Jacob Webb, uh, <laughs> you've got you know you've got guys out there who are going to do that. I, I it's not that I want to trade any of them, uh, but I just don't know where you're going to put them. So you're going to end up with the Gwinnett shuttle uh, service going really regularly again this year, right? Maybe. <laughs> if, the, if the starters go deep, maybe not. And that'd be the ideal situation. Yeah. Yep. And I, and I wrote about that today, you know, talking about kind of taking the kid gloves off of Soroka and Freed. You know, you saw Snicker pull them early a lot last year uh, at times where I thought they could have stayed in the game and should have stayed in the game. And you wonder if maybe that changes a little bit this year, but oh, it has to. And yep, and Newcomb's another name that we haven't mentioned. You know, if he doesn't win that yep. fifth spot, he's going back into the bullpen as well as a lefty, and that yep. definitely pushes Mentor out. Which I, I think Newcomb's going to win the fifth job, but that's you know still to be determined. And you know, if, I don't. Again, he, he could go <laughs> to the bullpen, and and I'm nervous. Know, that, that takes up another spot. <laughs> so yeah, whoever doesn't win the fifth spot, though, is going to end up in the bullpen. Yeah. yeah, well, there's Bryce Wilson, too, could go yeah. out there. Well, that's where um, I was thinking Tucker Davidson could end up in, the, in the, that spot, too, and put the other guy back in AAA just to get some innings and work in. Yeah, I, I think Davidson's going to stay a starter. but And Grant, Grant Dayton's another one. You know, he's a lefty. Um, yep. Yeah, I so. forgot about him. Yep. You, you, so. Your bullpen's pretty well pretty well full. If you, if you figure that it's Wright or Wilson – in, or Newcomb in the bullpen. I just don't know who who are you taking out to put Mentor in. So what you're saying is we need a trade. Yes. <laughs> well, I think I think Sabatka and Mentor have value. See, most times relievers don't have a lot of value, but Mentor throws really hard. Sabatka throws really hard, and when you get guys out there who are throwing 96, 97, 98. And if he throw and he had ten strikeouts per nine in the in in uh, the uh, minor leagues last year, that looks that looks really good to teams that have people in the bullpen who can't throw a strike. So that sounds like Colorado. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure Mender lives in Colorado. I think they can kind of kill him out there because he leaves the ball up a lot. But I, yeah, I, but I think there are places for him. I think the Dodgers would love to have AJ Mender. Oh, uh, we don't want to do that though. Yeah. I Jack Peterson. Uh, I don't, we don't worry know. about where he goes as long as as long as I do what I get something back that's that's good for me. Yeah, it'd have to be useful, which of course yeah. I'm thinking some yeah, of the big deals that be really good for a really good prospect who who has options. Yeah, that's true. We could do that kind of thing and replace the farm system down low kind of a deal. Well, we have options, and that's a great thing you know, about the bullpen going into this year as opposed to last year where everybody knew the bullpen was a joke except for Alex Santopoulos, apparently. And uh, we went into the season and we saw it happen, unfortunately. And it cost us a lot of games. And 
Uh, hopefully that won't be the case. We certainly don't expect that to be the case going into 2020 with all the arms that we have out there. So uh, we'll we'll wrap things up here. I do appreciate all the questions that you sent in on Twitter. Uh, the ones that didn't get answered, perhaps I can talk Fred into putting those into a mailbag post here pretty soon. Uh, but I do, I do appreciate those questions and I appreciate you sticking through us here on the podcast as we answer some of those. Uh, and as always, make sure you go out and follow the Tomahawk Take podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll talk to you again next week. This Can Banging 2020 edition of the Tomahawk Take podcast is a production of TomahawkTake.com and Fansided LLC, now a subsidiary of Minute Media Inc. Opinions expressed on the show today are strictly those of the participants, all rights reserved. Music used today, and we switched it up a bit, comes to you under the auspices of the Creative Commons license, terms of which are available at creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 4.0, and feature selections by Kevin McLeod entitled Pilot Error, Opportunity Walks, and Break Time. His works are featured at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Hey, thanks for listening out there in Braves Country, because all of our listeners are well above replacement level. ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done